listeners, you're listening to Nightmare Junkhead. Nightmare Junkhead! With Genius McGee and Greg D. I'm Gigi Saul Guerrero from Lucha Gore Productions. <laughs> Gore is love, baby. in and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from this is the nightmare junkhead podcast a horror podcast that like any good sequel is bigger and better the second time around <laughs> my name is greg d i'm genius mcgee and on today's episode <clears throat> we are throwing on our jinkos and we're paging 666 to our friends as we go back a second time into the mouth of march madness mm-hmm. and travel back 20 years and talk the horror classics from our 1997 brackets. Yes. But before we get into that, gang, let me remind you we are part of the Phantom Podcast Network. Phantom. You can find all of our past episodes along with a host of other horrific horror podcasts over at downrightcreepy.com. Or if you're like us and you like to listen to everything on the go, simply search for Nightmare Junkhead in your iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud app. Hit subscribe, and when you drop our latest episode, it will download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your madness hole. And if you can't hear in the background, I'm not (laughs) sure if you can hear (laughs) the subtle sounds of birds chirping, Uh nature existing, we are uh, out in Walden again. Yes, this is Tales from the Outside. This is. This is true. (laughs) Exactly. The other side. Where we actually get natural sunlight, which is nice. And this is unreal because of the fact that... As long as it doesn't burn, you're okay. You are a day walker, so (laughs) we've got you in the shade. Strategically, you're located fine. Just doused in, like, sunscreen. (laughs) Just bugs sticking all over you. As usual. Move along, move along. (laughs) But no, the fact that we're able to do this in March is kind of unreal. I know. Um, We were just talking about we do like to record uh, commentary tracks in the backyard if we can just because i've got a nice screen set up mm-hmm. it works itself well into it so anticipate a few commentary tracks yes. with nature in the background mm-hmm. so we love doing that but before we get into um back into the mouth of march madness um we do i'm going to start the podcast off with a little bit of a sad somber note um in the horror community obviously you know we love everyone that uh, Con- contributes to things, whether you know the writer directors, uh, but I think some of the unsung heroes are some of the artists um, that people that you know illustrate all these magical things. And one such uh, artist that we lost was uh, Bernie Wrightson. Now you might not know the name, but I guarantee you know his creation and you know his work. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is actually the uh, co-creator of Swamp Thing. Oh no shit! Mm-hmm. Along with uh, Len Wynn. Oh, uh, he man. was the uh, the original illustrator of Swamp Thing. Yeah. So if you're a DC Comics fan, you know Swamp Thing always was associated with kind of the horror side mm-hmm. of DC, which had a legitimate horror side. It did. There was some dark shit in that comic. Very much. Oh yeah. Very. Especially in the later years, but even at the beginning. I mean, you got a tragic creature who lives in the swamp and like controls things. And even if you're not a comic book fan, you might have seen the movie. By Wes Craven. Right. So, Which is always one of those, oh yeah, I forgot Wes Craven yeah. did that kind of films. I mean, Swamp Thing was huge. He had his own TV series. He had his own cartoons. He had all sorts of shit. The mythology of franchise. Alan Moore did a really spectacular yeah. run uh-huh. on Swamp Thing, but he got it started That's when there. shit got dark. But as, the, a char- as a character, Swamp Thing is just a very 
wonderfully complex monster. And in terms of the illustration and how he was designed, yes, very cool very as iconic. Well. Uh-huh. Very, uh, it's just kind of a throwback to uh, "Don't mess with nature, nature run amok." Right. But well, which is kind of perfect because we'll get into that later uh, in the episode. But the other thing that horror fans also probably remember him from is he's the Ill- original illustrator for the Creepshow comic. Oh no! Mm-hmm. And that's why I was when I we discussed this off mic, and I was like, "Did you hear who passed away?" And you were like, "No." And I was like, "Oh, I'm." And I, I oh, oh, that's no. But yeah, no, he was the yeah, which I know you oh, have. A, I have an original copy of. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's one of my favorite things. That's one of my prized possessions. And that it's it's spectacular <sighs> because that imagery, what he did with that, and 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 the way it just change to the screen i mean it's perfect it's 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 wonderful it's an easy comic brought to life mm-hmm. and it's just wow so you own damn. a nice you or you already owned a great companion piece but now it's just forever immortalized now the other thing that he also did the illustrations on were cycle of the werewolf oh no that's one of my very first stephen king books because it had pictures mm-hmm. do you remember those pictures oh those pictures were rough those were like Woo! That was when I knew, like, this is not a kid's this book. This is next level. This is, but, yeah, no, this, man. I mean, he he literally illustrated your nightmares. Um, he it, illustrated yeah, my my childhood, childhood, man, my road of horror. Oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's a bummer to hear, but, you know, obviously, through art, he will live. Yes, forever. And I know that's not obviously, um, you know, comfort to family, uh, friends, and this and that. But, but hey, to all he's done for me and probably a lot of others in the horror community, I salute you. Let's moment of silence. All right. Yeah, and the bird had to interrupt it, unfortunately. So no, that's uh, that was a sad, somber note. But definitely make sure and go out and celebrate his work uh, because it, he was next level in terms of the detail. Yeah. And the ferocity of yeah. his drawings. There's this one that was going around where it's the werewolf ripping the face off of, and it's the look of horror in the guy's eyes is unreal. It was just, and it's one of those things that it just terrifically is just uh, partners with Stephen King's prose. Yeah. And it's just the horror. uh, uh, Yeah. It's, it's really rough. It's really rough. So no, uh, you know, pour one out for him. Uh, Celebrate his work. Mm -hmm. Definitely. uh, So rest in peace, Bernie Wrightson. Um, but don't rest in peace in terms of the bracket that we got going on. Yes. So, um, obviously, if you listened to our last episode, we looked at the films of 1987. Uh-huh. And we had three immediate winners. Yes. For our bracket, you know, not yours at home, but for our bracket, official, for the official for podcast. For the official podcast bracket. And our winners that came through were uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. Uh-huh. Hellraiser. And, and Evil Dead 2. And we much ha- much to my chagrin, we, and much to my chagrin too, man. I was really hoping that we would have to go to the uh, the the listeners right. for that one there. <laughs> but I'm like to see that you know rational capacity of thought exists mm-hmm. within one genius McGee. And then because we also have, and remember that we're doing the three categories too, and that was uh, what what goes with your heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the, oh, I can't remember the other one. Um, the other one was the impact cultural impact on the oh yeah genre. yeah in terms of how we're breaking things uh-huh. down and the other one was um culture there's cultural impact nostalgia and if it how it fits the yes. the actual segment the uh, um, the, the the bracket the mm-hmm. actual bracket yes and so the one that we couldn't agree on was our darkness mm-hmm. bracket uh which is pitted up darkness <laughs> <laughs> 
Prince of Darkness and Near Dark against uh-huh. each other. And so we put it out there on Twitter and Facebook. You know, we need to hear from you guys in terms mm-hmm. of what what would go forth for you. And so we've gotten a lot of feedback, actually, yes. which has been fantastic. Yes. Uh, please check us out at Nightmare Junk on Twitter and Nightmare Junkhead on Facebook. Um, but no, we've gotten a lot of feedback. And so we're going to announce the winner. At the end, end of this podcast, yes, because we're gonna let we want a few more votes to come in, and so because there are gonna be people that aren't on Twitter or Facebook that are listeners, mm-hmm. and I would like to get their feedback as well. Mm-hmm. So we will um we'll be proud to announce the winner of beep you know at You're the right. end of the podcast. Right. Um. So congratulations to whoever goes forward, and honestly, whoever does go forward, we, yeah. In, in, they say whoever wins, we lose, but in this way, whoever wins, we win. It would so. be appropriate with a uh, with a horror podcast. Mm-hmm. Um. So no, it's been fantastic with that now um, the other thing is we've still gotten some more uh, finished brackets coming in as well yes seen many more winners actually have seen quite a few Suspiria mm-hmm. winners coming through so I love that 77 is uh, repping hard um, some cube ones coming in saw cube mm-hmm. which is and that's appropriate given the fact that we're gonna be talking about that even a couple of paranormal activities so so uh, going back to 1997 one of the best things about doing this and we've talked about it before but is the whole aspect of revisiting a lot of these films. Mm -hmm. And so recently on uh, Twitter, I saw someone talking about how it had been a long time since they had seen The Wrath. Um, And they were like, man, I've forgotten how so good it was. And I think I hit him back. I was like, yeah, but there's the joy of that feeling you get when you revisit it again. Yeah, to see it one more time. When the absence has made the heart grow fonder. Mm -hmm. So the other day, I'm downstairs, and I'm kind of cleaning my basement a little bit, and I realize it's been a long time since I've actually listened to some music. I uh, listen to a lot of podcasts, but I never find that balance. So I was like, man, it's been a long time. Let me just throw something on. Mm-hmm. And I go, oh, I forgot. I just got Iron Maiden's Brave New World on, on vinyl, and it's a fantastic album. So I listened to uh, Wicker Man, Ghost of the Navigator, and um, Brave New World. And I'm, I'm kind of in a little bit of a gallop and a rhythm with Steve Harris's bass work. Are you doing the gate thing with not the yet, doors? Not yet, not yet. So I, I had a really good rhythm with it. So I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to throw on side one of their new album. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I throw on that, and it's fantastic. I'm, I'm really getting into it now, and I'm starting <laughs> to do it. I'm doing a little bit of the air bass, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, but then I realized, it's like, you know what I haven't listened to in a long time and kind of staying true with the spirit of what we're doing is I put on um, this album. It's by a band called Exodus. Uh-huh. And there are real legendary thrash metal band but it's a band I came to late in life when I was kind of a, a, a fledgling metalhead growing up uh, I kind of it's so weird when that happens uh, in terms of uh, you identify with a certain thing right. when you're growing up but you are you're struggling for your identity so much that sometimes it's harder to expand uh-huh. and so I was really big on like Metallica Slayer and but needless to say I never listened to Exodus mm-hmm. and so I finally came across their album bonded by blood and I was like you know what I've heard so much about it. It's kind of one of those things, kind of like I've heard that our segment. Uh-huh. But I know enough of we're just, we're battling wind. Today. Right. <laughs> I know enough of the album to know of it, but I haven't actually listened to it. Mm-hmm. So buy it, take it home, and it was a revelatory experience, man. I'm like, how did I not know about this? How have I been taking so long to listen to this album? Yeah. But then I was able to go, oh my god. But I had that first moment. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? I haven't listened to in a while was Exodus. So I throw it on. Bonded Mike Blood comes on. I'm air guitar and like crazy. And there's this there's a little segment in this song called A Lesson in Violence. <laughs> where there's like, get on your knees and go. And there's this little <laughs> there's this little dual <laughs> guitar. 
and I was listening to it, and I, <laughs> I snorted one time with a laugh because right. it was so joyous. And it was just, it was a magical moment that was just by myself totally. But I was like, that was nice. And it was having that moment of revisiting it and ha- re- revisiting that moment. Yeah. Um, and that's what I love about it. So in terms of then transitioning uh, back into looking back at some of these films, we're looking, you know, with some of that nostalgic feel, mm-hmm. but also looking at it with fresh eyes. Right. And sometimes that fresh perspective it can be chal- it can be chilling because sometimes it doesn't hold up, and sometimes it can shake your perspectives on stuff. And for example, in the bracket, I mentioned I've never seen Cube before, and it's on the bracket, so I went and saw this movie out. And like you said earlier, why have I not seen this movie before? Mm-hmm. You know, so. And isn't it nice, though, the fact that we are, you know, we're in elder statements, if you will, right. but the fact that we can still have those moments. Happy surprises. Very much happy yeah. surprises, but there's still so and much even out nostalgic-esque there. feelings, yeah. And this is a movie that's 20 years old. Yeah. And the fact that it's you're seeking it out 20 years later, and the fact you still hadn't seen it 20 years, 20 mm-hmm. years is a long time for you to not see a film. Yeah. And for one reason or another, that happens. There are still so many movies I haven't seen. Well, like, look at, um, even on the bracket, look at Scream 2. It's been forever since I've seen it until we showed it uh, last Halloween. Yep. So, for our triple yep. feature. So, yeah, it's... It's always it's always fun to see like oh yeah, but it is that double edged sword sometimes because because sometimes you get burned in the ass. So there are, there are occasions I'll listen <laughs> right? to something I'll go, what did I hear in that? Or you have those occasions where you're like, what did I see in that? Right, like ah. Oof. So I, I will say though, in terms of when we put together our bracket for 1997, because 1997. All but all but Cube, I saw all these in the theater. Yep, I was about to ask that. That's yeah. one of those back in the golden days of kind of sight unseen. Mm-hmm. I would go to a movie, yeah, just to go see it based on only trailers you saw at a previous movie. Because in '97 it was the nascent time, not a lot of people were online. <laughs> the only time you were really online is when you would get those discs, those AOL. Like, oh man, I'm out of my time. Need more discs. Fortunately, they were like. A plenty. So, like, I've stored them up in my basement. So, if you know, coasters, we, well, coasters. or you know, the, for the post apocalypse. There like, we go, Trey. I'll dun, still have. Dun, 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 dun. So, <laughs> you never know what you need in Barter Town. Right. <laughs> Make a Turbo Kid gauntlet just shooting fucking discs. <laughs> Skeletron. And I think that came from my viewing of Hellraiser 3, sadly. <laughs> <Yeah, so. shut laughs> no, but there is that occasion, though, when you do revisit these, and all of a sudden the sheen is gone, and you go, it doesn't hold up. But, but on the side, other side, there's some things that you see here that you haven't seen, and you're like, now I know why I loved this movie. Well, so. also in 1997, we had kind of what a lot of people would say is the kind of the downslope mm-hmm. of horror. Yeah, I would agree, because it's reached... I mean, personally, it's reached its peak in the 80s. Well, and we, then, we mentioned that the last episode. Yeah, and so that one, so, but the 90s, it still had its good horror roots and holding on to some of that 80s feel, and some of it worked out really well and some of it not so much. But at the same time, the 90s was such a mixed bag of different genres. I mean, more so than any of the other except for the 80s the 90s just you had uh all different ones you had monster movies like one of our categories sci-fi that was big that was just sci-fi has always been big Mm -hmm. but now the more 
realistic futuristic sci-fi is coming heavy into play and you see it a lot of the 90s so well i also think what's interesting with that is in terms of the um the trends that were going on yeah and what did we have to pick from from those trends in 97 mm-hmm. which was very interesting because some of the there's some really really peak years in the 90s where yeah. if we were choosing it would be really hard in slopes and valleys yeah yeah, yeah. And so that's what i think was interesting though in terms of looking at the films that have the lo- the growing power the lasting power to mm-hmm. last 20 years the fact that we will talk about these films yeah and so that being said what bracket do you think we should go into first let's start off with the teen slashers okay oh man so that's the slasher is genre i have a weird relationship with it just because i like a lot of them Mm -hmm. but the slasher genre itself inspired so many bad films because it was so cheap to make for every good uh 90s teen slasher film there was always like two bad oh hell i'm even talking about the 80s because i think it kind of died out a little Mm mm-hmm but then, what was it, 94 and 95 when Scream came out? Yeah, to revitalize. And of course, leave it to Wes Craven. Right. <laughs> he, <laughs> the, a true Artur. He's, he's amazing to do mm-hmm. that in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. But no, yeah, Scream really jump-started it. But then, like you said, yeah. we got... So many copycats. It was just like when Halloween came out, like you said, back mm-hmm. in the 80s and 70s when the slashers... It, they're just so plentiful and easy to make, but that really makes the good ones last and i think we found two ones in this category i'm very really i think we're fortunate in terms of 97 yeah two good ones and that's both one continuing a franchise and the other starting a franchise which i'm really glad we got that kind of perspective on Mm -hmm. there so the first one we'll talk about is scream 2 Mm -hmm. uh, directed by wes craven and like you said the last horror marathon that we put on over at uh screenland tapcade Mm -hmm. we launched the and we launched off with scream 2 Mm -hmm. our theme was sequels so we figured what better way to do a sequel than a sequel that explains what sequels are so (laughs) and i think the really interesting thing with scream 2 and as well as i still know what you did last summer and with a lot of these films is how meta they all became Mm -hmm. where you don't know if the tale is going to eat itself if it's if is it a parody at this point right and I, i think because of something like scream where it was something well not new but very fresh perspective of it it was still trying to find its legs they found lightning in a bottle and with all these copycats you know, some of them are going to fall by the wayside, but you're right. Some things got too meta. Yeah, and I've, not all of them got franchises or sequels at right. that point. A few of them did. Uh, Urban Legends, I know. Mm-hmm. I still know what you did last summer. Uh, but there's a lot of standalone films that, like you said, just, just paled by comparison. But yeah. Scream 2 is one of those that is a sequel and is the start of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, so that being said, what do you have? Is Where does it lie for you in terms of like the Scream franchise? I think this is one of the better ones. Uh, I, I, it gets a little silly for me after three, you know, and the whole reboots and blah 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 blah. But I think the first two are really good, effective ones. Um, as for Scream Two, I think it's a perfect, like we said, a perfect example of what a sequel should be when dealing with this particular genre. It explains the rules and it follows its own rules until that very last red herring, where it goes off on its own direction, and which is smart. I mean, it because. You can follow the rules, but always leave the prestige, you know? Yeah, you do You do need the aha mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. And also, just in terms of kind of the rules on a sequel, sometimes you can recreate. Right. Look at what they did in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Exactly. Sometimes it works. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those are those gym towels. 
uh, but also the other thing that I think is interesting as well is they did up the ante by killing what was then a pretty beloved character. Yeah, with Jamie Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, no, not him, because he was my surrogate. Right? I worked at a video store. You know, I always liked the hot high school girl. He's because that because and then that was about my graduating year, so I could totally relate to Jamie Kennedy. So when he died, I'm like, oh no. He was the avatar avatar for like under and overweight guys that can't get laid. Right. You know, you're just like that's me, man. And like that's me. film and horror nerds, he was just he was every man's everybody. And so the, the fact that he gets taken out and very savagely. Yes. And spoilers here, obviously, for 20-year-old war, when you find right. out it's Laurie Metcalf. <laughs> Fucking Jackie. That That's the only thing that really took me out of the movie. I'm like, it's Jackie? Come on. Now, do you think if they had casted someone without actually having that Roseanne cultural cachet, it would have made a difference? Yes, I think so. I think if it would have been like, I don't know. Even if it was Jennifer Aniston, that would have been funny. Whole, <laughs> just like, turned out it's her hairdo that did it. She, she, yeah, she just pulls back and it's Jennifer Aniston. Or better, just pull back. Buck Flowers. I would have gone away with the do of one of your meddling sequels. You know what? I was afraid we weren't going to be able to get the Buck Flower organically <laughs> and naturally. But we will later in this bracket, yes, ladies and will. gentlemen, which I'm excited for. I'm going um, back like a goddamn bad penny. Well, I'll tell you the best part of the whole thing, though, is just in terms of being able to experience it with an audience. Because like mm-hmm. I said, revisiting it in your home theater with by yourself or with a few friends is one thing. But seeing it in a crowd with people who've never seen it before or who have who saw it and forgot about or it. Or revisiting it after exactly. a long Exactly. And just to see their reaction and to see it's still effective is a welcome treat. And I think the uh, the scene that really stood out was the when they're crawling across uh, Ghostface in the cop car. Yes. In terms of the suspense and the tension and dread. That was, that was really good. And it's always, like I said, it's good to see you know Wes coming back and mm-hmm. still stepping up to the plate. Good old school Wes, man. And if anybody can make a t- tenseful, mean kill, mm-hmm. it's Wes Craven. It works really, really well. And so, yeah, no, Scream 2, loved a lot. And again, this is one I saw in the theater. Wasn't as good as my first initial experience seeing Scream. Right, but it was a very salvageable... It was still a great movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, once again, a sequel rarely is going to be better than the original. And I think an interesting thing ter- in terms of what we had with 80s slasher tropes mm-hmm. are a little bit different with the 90s. Yeah, because you're not only new technology... You know, you didn't have internet in the yes. 80s. Which is something the big struggle, I think, they see, people see with a lot of modern films now mm-hmm. is the advent of communication and technology. Right. Pick up the goddamn phone! You know, just... <laughs> well, the fact that you have to write it into the script now to right. eliminate that, it's rough. Yeah. You know, there was a it's lot... It's a new hurdle to hunt, jump over, mm-hmm. so... And so, it's interesting, though, just because it does... <laughs> both of these films are also very 90s. Very 90s. Uh, it's even, like, with the cast of them as well. <laughs> the hottest teen stuff. Stars from Fox and UPN and well, that and was probably the biggest thing in terms of when watching Scream Two again uh, is just people see, hearing people react to seeing some of these people again going, "Whoa, Portia de Rossi is right. on here, <laughs> right? Like, what's Lindsay Bluth doing here?" <laughs> and then, uh, and I know what you did last summer with Jennifer Love Hewitt, just coming off of a Party of Five or something. I, I forget. I just I don't know. She's pretty, but. Uh, <laughs> She's a treat. You do get in a, in a weave with that one there in a trance. <laughs> and then she became a, a big commodity, having her own Ghost Whisperer show. Mm-hmm. And and this, I think I know what you did last summer, was a good salvageable slasher flick 
it's wasn't my favorite of the 90s but at the same time it was a lot of people's favorite and it was a good spin on the uh, urban legend tale well and that's that's what i interest in terms of some notes that i have down there it's it is spun from an urban legend mm-hmm. which is interesting of the gordon's fisherman yes but also interestingly enough during this time we also had an urban legend film yeah <laughs> that spawned a franchise in mm-hmm. and of itself and i think that goes to once again a, a 90s thing with the advent of all this communication that you can send things on the internet mm-hmm. more urban legends were coming to light of course you know and so let's incorporate these urban legends let's bring back the old ghost stories well so. this was one of the films in terms of a revisit i haven't watched i still know since i know i, wa- I saw it in the theater and i know i've seen it at least one time on dvd but it's been a long time yeah this one was a fun revisit Ultimately, because what's interesting with these two in terms of the slashers is a lot of indie slashers existed. Mm-hmm. You didn't get a lot of big budgeted or big no, studio big slashers. No, big studio ones, right. Those were usually the Fridays, the Halloweens, mm-hmm. the ones that had kind of a big marketable franchise. So when you get these big, like you said, these kind of unknown at the time stars and you look back now and you go, oh, it's Freddie Prince Jr., it's Sarah Michelle Gellar, it's mm-hmm. Ryan Phillippe, it's Johnny uh, Galecki. Right. From... Um, big Bang Theory. Right, which, you know, so... It covers even the CBS crowd, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of like who, who of '90s actors, right? Very hot, up and coming, and insanely attractive people, but couldn't <laughs> be more '90s, right? The, these two are definitely time capsule movies. I mean, without a doubt, and in a glorious way, much mm-hmm. like the '80s slashers, right. Are very much a very specific part of the '80s. Mm-hmm. Same thing with these as well, right? It's just like you say, people might reverse engineer with this. This might be for a lot of people their Friday the 13th and I hope I hope it is because it does pull on a lot of suspenseful tropes yeah Um, and there's some really good kills in this Mm -hmm. Uh, in fact um, Johnny Galecki's kill he's the one that actually gets the hook up through the jaw and what was it with hooks in the 90s between this and Candyman right like was the hook resurgence coming through and then the movie hook Rufio you know because that's kind of creepy too. It really is. It really is. I, it was one of the things that I was taking because I rewatched Candyman not too long ago, and mm-hmm. it's like, wow, there were there were a lot of hooks in there, man. Helen. Oh, that when we reshowed that at the Alamo, it was still very scary. Still, very it's a scary. good adult horror film, man. Yeah. That to me still is the best of the nineties. But yeah, hooks, hooks were a common theme in the nineties. I don't know why. That is an interesting thing. Hmm. Yeah. No. And um. Just in terms of one of the things that I think is an issue with some of the 90s films is there is still gore there, uh-huh. but it's definitely neutered down yeah. in terms of what we got it with is. 80s. It is. I think this was the start of PG-13 horror movies aimed squarely for teens. Because they saw the money potential uh-huh. there. And a lot of that ultimately, you got to remember, it does come down to money, especially for some of these big, bigger uh, studios out there. And then if the studios are going to throw money at these hot up-and-coming teen stars, and some of the teen stars are like, hey, I ain't going to do nudity. You know, and I don't want to be in a movie where there's going to be around. So that's become PG-13. And that's the other really interesting transition is, yeah, you you eliminated a lot of the nudity that you saw in 80s films. With the big budget ones. Yep. No, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because even in the even in even in the 80s, the big budget Paramount ones are still like titties. Empire was still out there. Yeah. You know, so you still had all that covered. It's really interesting. So um, that being said, in terms of kind of our thoughts on and obviously the open ended ending now. In terms of the... Trust the Gordons, fishermen. Bing, bing. Yeah or nay on that? Nay. Nay? Nay. Nay all the way. 
He looked like a Scooby-Doo villain to me. He really <laughs> did with the dark trench coat and the Gordon's and hat. And of course, and the hook. there's in terms of the ties to the Scooby-Doo universe that yeah. we have with Michelle. Buck Flowers. Yeah. But the fact that they also portrayed him in a live-action film. Yeah. So. so that's not uncommon. Sure. <laughs> Someone saw that and was like, yeah, this is straight up a Scooby-Doo villain. So I don't think he lasts as long in terms of the iconic imagery that uh, Ghostface does. Yeah. You don't see as many Bens as you do Ghostface. So let's throw them through our ringer okay. and see what comes up. So let's look at, in terms of a, a bracket buster, in terms of does it rep- what, which one best represents a slasher film? Uh-huh. From um, 1997, Scream 2, or I Know What You Did Last Summer? I'm going to go Scream 2. Are you? Okay. I'm going to go Scream 2 because, it, like I said, it is a good sequel. It explains what a sequel should be. And as for a slasher, you can't go with the slasher without at least talking about the inevitability of a sequel. That's true. That's true. And they do and they do leave it open um, uh-huh. with that. But they also still do with I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. So I guess ultimately in terms of which one did the slasher work best, for me it comes down to, you know, kind of the gore, the kills, uh, some of the overtopness. And because Scream 2 is a sequel, it serves itself to a little bit more gore and over the top. So I will go with Scream 2 on that in terms of the better slasher. Mm-hmm. Cool. So in terms of kind of the nostalgia feel mm-hmm. uh, with that one, again, I saw both of these in the theater, but I'm, they weren't ones that I was raised on. So these, this is the interesting aspect, <laughs> because I was a little bit older when I saw these versus, you know, yourself here. When I, so when I saw this, the, the Scream 2 in the movie theater, I had a really fun time. It was a good, enjoyable experience. Um, when I saw, I know what you did last summer in the theater. I had a very fun time too, but a different way because I was with Mount Baldy, and oh no. we were going through. We were just like a not a mystery science theater phase, but at the same time, you were those guys back in the day. We were you? those guys back in the day, and so oh, sort of looking why, down on you. But but at the same time, we did it somewhat respectfully. We were in the back, and <clears throat> we were just kind of like to ourselves, but laughing. But we, you know, we kind of. It had our crush on Jennifer Love Hewitt, and then understood, understood. when when the um, when the killer came in, I said, "It's the Gordon's Fisherman!" Ding ding, right? Cracked up and had a great time. So for nostalgic factor, I'm gonna have to go with "I Know What You Did Last Summer" for me because I just had a just a fun. That's a good memory. I under, that's a, that's actually, and that's the thing. You have that association, you were, and you were in a theater for it, which is nice. So yeah. I understand that. I'm just going to go with Scream Two, just be, and it's only piggybacking off of my really fun time I had in the theater on the right. first screening. Yeah. Unfortunately, so when it comes down to cultural significance, mm-hmm. uh, genre significance between the two, we have a create, we have a uh, creation of a uh, franchise, and then we have a continuation of a franchise. <sighs> I think for cultural significance, I think I'm going to have to go with Scream 2 for the, again, fact that it sets up what a sequel should be. And while, yes, I know what you did last summer was a salvageable movie to sequels and really never paled in comparison, especially even if you went, I still know, versus Scream 2, it would still be Scream 2. So I'm going to have to go Scream 2. There's true diminishing returns, I think, with uh, the I still know what you did with those. Uh, But also, just in terms of cultural significance, that Scream has a television show as well that's doing really well. Yes. And so it's transcending the genre, Mm -hmm. the the nature, uh, not the nature, but like the age demographic. The nature of the beast. Going going with the younger demographic, but Mm -hmm. finding an audience in there. So I, too, also am going to go with Scream 2. So for me, I think the obvious winner is... Scream 2. Scream 2. Okay, mm-hmm. so Scream 2 going through in the slasher bracket. Mm-hmm. Which one should we look at next there, Genius? Um, 
Let's do sci-fi horror. Sci-fi horror. Mm -hmm. So now, the old adage is, if your franchise is going into space, that's sometimes a bad thing. That's the death kneel. Right. But in this one, if it starts off into space or something, it can be the start of a very, very good ride. And sci-fi horror is our next bracket. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you something in terms of sci-fi. It's a really interesting genre yeah. that I don't think there's a lot out there. But, but it's been around since like the 40s, the 30s, the War of the Worlds. The well, what is the most scary unknown place there is? Space. Where no one can hear you scream. That's right. That's yeah. right. And so, just in terms of finding films, if you like, you said if it's not necessarily you're putting a franchise in space, if it's an organic story from there, you're the, you're better off for it. And then also in sci-fi, we have um, more futuristic things. And then like because uh, for example, Cube, not necessarily in space because we don't know. Um, but we also can do a post-apocalyptic. So sci-fi mm -hmm. sci-fi, sci and horror go hand in hand. It lends itself so well. Yes. And so we were very fortunate in terms of 1997 to get two fantastic representations of sci-fi horror. And I, we just wanted to, and once again, I wanted to say Predator is not on there <laughs> because it is more action than you, you horror. You did champion however. it. Yeah, and we will throw it out there again. If, if, if Predator was on here, and I'll tell you, if you if you dig Predator a lot, and you're like, damn it, guys, uh, go to Nerds and Nostalgia. We actually have a Predator commentary track that we did. Mm -hmm. That's actually a lot of fun with Mount Baldy. Mm -hmm. Actually, um, listen, because we, we listen. We almost quoted the whole damn movie. <laughs> no, we didn't do that. No one's gonna listen to that. No, no. <laughs> but we did call each other out occasionally and like yeah, we quote did. it. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, it's uh, went to bat for it. And again, um, damn, '87 still rearing its ugly head. Um, <laughs> Because this is 97 again. Um, but no, uh, Event Horizon and Cube, definitely two fantastic representations yes. of them. Now, what's interesting, though, is two very divisive films. Um, and I think for different reasons, for mm -hmm. the most part. Um, so which one do you want to go into first? Um, let's do Cube. So this is still fresh. This is very fresh. So this is one we talked about in terms of there's the revisiting moment and there's mm -hmm. the experiencing yes. moment. And you recently were able to experience Cube mm -hmm. for the first time. Tell me your experience. I dug it. I dug it a lot to the point where I was like, why have I not seen this movie before? This was a really smart, good movie. It, it had good tension. It had great atmosphere. There was some, it wasn't perfect. You know, there was this definitely CGI flaws, but this sure, is the, you sure. know, so with a grain of salt, you know, I had a really good time with this. It's funny you mentioned that. It's like, how did I not see it? Because this is one I was late to as well. In fact, it was Amy, of all people, that introduced me to this film. <laughs> if any of you know Amy, she's one of my great friends. She uh, She's not a movie person. And so for her to introduce something to me, yeah. I was like, how? and again, I had that, how the hell have I not seen this? Right, right, right. And so I was like, thank you. And she's like, yeah, of course. And so that moment I saw it too was just like, it's because it's cool, kind of hard sci-fi. Mm -hmm. Because uh, kind of like with element, things like Moon, um, um, the Arrival. Right. Good, smart, not thinking man sci-fi per se. But because there's gore aplenty in this film. It's very gore. It's, whoo, when that guy gets Was that, space Did melted. that surprise you when that happened? Oh, yes. When the whole bummer. I was like, ah, oh, no, not hardly. Uh, it's a very gore movie, but it's also not one that you, you can just like, eh. You have to really, while we say it's not a thinking man sci-fi, it's a pay attention sci-fi. You have to be in the mood to watch mm -hmm. it. Yeah, it's, because it, it makes you think, because everything is super ambiguous, it, it ends ambiguously, it's 
it's it's crazy. So well, it's rad because it's it's a of all things, it's a sci-fi horror movie that's a pro math movie. Yes, very. <laughs> like, it's like if you show this in math class, okay. <laughs> well, they, we're never going to use this. Okay, check this out. You might. If you they want to, I've got a perfect college what? recruiting thing. If they want to recruit more STEM majors, is just throw <laughs> show this in your senior science, biology, and math classes, or, or, or chemistry and shit, or one of the scared straight math programs. Like you know, you really knew to apply yourself. Nah, this is bullshit. You're the crusty old dean. Let me show you why. You know, here's a face full of acid for you. <laughs> throw your boot over there. Good, jump into the next class. Well, I love the fact that that exists. <laughs> or oh, even like uh, if you look at um. Our Aronofsky's uh, Pi, which is also a very number math, math movie, <laughs> which is so bizarre that <laughs> right. that exists. Um, but the way it all works into these crazy elaborate puzzles and traps, because mm-hmm. a lot of people say, well, is it saw in a cube? And people are like, a saw in space? Or, saw in and space, And see, that's yeah. what I thought. It was like saw in space. Because somebody told me that it was what it was. Somebody, like, like it's saw in space. And well, I, I think like, if you're oh. trying to break it down simplistically. Yeah, but it's way more than that. It's, it's very, very good movie it's directed by uh Vinci- vincenzo natale a com- canadian-based psychological horror well and also the fact that uh he went on to direct splice oh which is another cool sci-fi horror uh-huh. film. and uh he did a lot of television work in terms of direct he directed he's directed on hannibal hmm. which i know is one we need to check out yeah uh, but also on the strain i love the strain so uh, he's directed a bunch of episodes with that really yeah cool so, the fact, so he's got his and he's it's a very unique film yeah that's the one thing that it's not a very traditional horror film Mm-mm, no it, like you said it, like it's it's you need to pay attention you, mm-hmm. it, you really really do it's it, but it's because it's well paid off it'll leave a lot of questions unanswered and if that's what you don't like not to say that people like to be spoon-fed but sometimes you don't want you want if you're going to have lofty ideals, you need to make sure you follow through. Yeah. And some people just want con- conclusion, just closure. This movie does not do that. No. Well, it also, it is spawned a franchise itself. Yes. It does have two sequels, which... I haven't seen. I think I've seen the se- the, the part two, but I know I haven't seen part three. Hypercube? Something along those or lines. Cube Zero? Which is bad because I enjoyed the first one, mm-hmm. so a part of me is kind of scared because I have heard mixed things regarding mm-hmm. the sequels. Yeah. So I don't want to tarnish my experience. I think if I don't see Cube and Cube Cube 2 and Cube 3, I'd be okay. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I don't want to, like like you said, tarnish the experience. But also, you know, there's nothing bad worse than a disappointing sequel. Yeah. It, it just, it, the air out of the balloon, man, it's no good. But, no, mm-hmm. this was such a pleasant surprise when mm-hmm. I saw it. And it was just one of those that we would watch every, maybe once a year. Maybe once a yeah. couple of years. Huh. But it was in a regular rotation for a while. Really? And it was great. And I was just always like, thanks. This is kind of rad. Huh. Also introduced me of all things in a, just this, Pat, we talked about Bill Paxson a little off air. Mm-hmm. This really d- bizarre Adam Rifkin film called The Dark Backward. Where um, Judd Nelson plays this struggling stand-up comic that has an arm growing out of the back of his uh, back. Mm-hmm. And Bill Paxton plays this like gross dirty trash and it's just a bizarre bizarre film it's, it doesn't sound like it's a regular movie it's not, you're not going to see it on the Lifetime channel I would argue it's got some horror elements it's just so weird <laughs> uh, but no I'm just glad that you know I had the opportunity and it, it's one of those again I love the happy accident or mm-hmm. the hey let's watch this because you have that ah yeah. this is so cool so well, I'm glad you had that experience I'm glad because I was afraid maybe you, well not afraid but I was curious if maybe no, you didn't I dug like it. it no I dug it I dug it a lot I, it, it, I, at first I didn't want to dig it you know, because I was like, I, I don't know, I was like, ah, 
I hope I hope it gets better. But then it sure did. It yeah. just it built the tension really well. And even the the the, uh, the interaction between the characters, the relationships, mm-hmm. uh, how to utilize their skills into solving everything. Exactly. I I, I dug it a lot. I, yeah. It was a it was a smart saw. Yeah, this is um, I don't know if I would put it in my regular regular rotation. The next one is in my regular rotation, though. This is I I try and watch this at least once every two years. I love Event Horizon. Directed by Paul W S Anderson, not Who? Paul T Anderson. Right. <laughs> totally different thing. <laughs> PTA <laughs> Magnolia in space. No, I think Paul W S Anderson is kind of underrated. Well, and he, that's what's really interesting with this film because we're both fans of it. We'll get into that. But I have seen a lot of hate online with this film. How? I, I how how is there? Okay, never. Uh, you know what? Every to each come your own now, opinion. Come on now. Come to on now. To each your own opinion. But I mean, this I, is the internet we're talking about. Yeah, I want to show me your work on that yeah. one. Show me your work on how to hate Event Horizon. So, did you see this in the theater? Yes, I did. I didn't need eyes to see. What were you anticipating with this film? Nothing. I don't know. I don't know. I thought it was going to be because, it, ironically, it came out about the same time as Sphere. Oh, it did, didn't it? The Michael Crichton film. Mm-hmm. And Sphere was getting all these acclaims and awards and stuff like well, that. Well, yeah, it had uh, uh, Sharon Stone. Uh-huh. And now, that one on Positive had Sharon Stone in it. <laughs> uh- <laughs> well, that was a deep cut there. <laughs> had uh, Sharon Stone. I think Lawrence Fishburne in it, too. I could, well, I might have to double check. But anyway, we're not talking about Sphere. But it came out at the same time. And then in the trailers, it showed that Sphere. So I'm thinking it's going to be more like psychological thriller kind of something along those lines i was not expecting for the mind fuckery that i got and i was so fucking pleasantly surprised i'm telling you this movie within the mouth of madness would be my dream double feature this movie is amazingly good it's tension filled it's scary it's got so many interesting themes and things it wants to say even some of the more goofy ones, it's still like, that's kind of a cool theory. You know, even if it's like way out there, interdimensional space hell. If You know what? If, if we can have space Jesus with... Um, <laughs> with the, uh, the visitor, with the visitor, why not a space hell? You know what I'm saying? And then we talk... Fucking, it even goes back to the anti-God. You know? I mean, all kinds of cool shit. I, the practical effects were great in this movie. This movie was amazing. I love this movie and that's why I think Paul W.S. Anderson does not get enough record. Plus I like I like the Resident Evil movies. And that's the other thing is I think he is basically thrown under the bus by a lot of horror fans because let's face it horror fans can't be fickle. Right. As, as oh much fuck a, yeah. As much as a great unifying See, bunch as they can be. That's the bad thing when you love when you're so passionate about something some shit's got you gotta be dispassionate about something. Which happens which happens and unfortunately the, the vigor in which they mm-hmm. place that is <laughs> but no this is one I, I know I came in late on the game I did not see this in the theater um, because of the fact that again I was a little bit wary of the space films like that. Right. And also at that time in the late 90s I was probably more into either skating or making sure I watched the latest like Tarantino indie flick or whatever you know <laughs> I was kind of ebbing and flowing sometimes from certain horror especially with space based right so um, imagine my surprise like you said being pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. being wickedly surprised yes at how mean this film is yes it is not friendly no I wasn't anticipating the level of gore and also like you said just in terms of the atmosphere and the idea of this 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 hell 
nexus, this hell dimension right. that exists on you know the, the exact same plane, yep. or just the many layers all of it, hell. All it needs is a tear. All that ex- existential stuff yeah. that you don't necessarily get the first time you watch it, but like you said, it deals with some very adult themes with the psychosis that all the various mm-hmm. passengers are going through. And a lot of that, like, and that's the beauty of horror is you can revisit this with fresh eyes and yeah. then you identify with something you never even looked at before. Because even though it's set in space, all these things of the, the anguish and the suffering and all the torment that these people are going through is based on their own realities. So it's their own, like, and isn't it's their that own personal hell. hell. Yes, isn't that what hell truly is? Yeah. So it's... It's terrifying. And you do get the Lovecraftian themes in this mm-hmm. as well, which is why In the Mouth of Madness works so well in terms of the Sam Neill. Uh, and, I yeah. love the, and I love the fact in terms of the cast here. It's a great cast. It is a very good, strong performance. That's the only thing in terms of competing, pairing these two together. Uh-huh. The cast is definitely going to come into play on that one just because Sam Neill... Just kills it. Just kills it. When you can get good character actors in these films, and I think this does come from the fact that this is a, a big budget film mm-hmm. versus an indie, so obviously that's going right, to come into play. Right, right, right. But when you get good character actors that can invest themselves, yes. that know when to go hammy, uh-huh. because that's what I also like about this film is as dark as it gets, when Sam Neill, when he becomes... He's a villain. He becomes a super villain. It's because he's... You don't be nice to see where we're going, you know? And you know what? I I've, I know that there... Because like you said, no one to be hammy and no one to like bring it and when to dial it down. I know that everybody wants to petition for Robert England to be the new Loomis. I'm throwing my hat for Sam Neill. Wow. that I, I can totally see that working. We just, you know... I a- shot him six times! I shot him six times! <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I, I can't even. I, well, how do you do the Sam Neill? That's the thing. That's you. You, you got to make the Loomis your own. So maybe give him a little something. No, he's fantastic in it. Lawrence Fishburne is great in yes. it. Yes. '90s mainstay Jack Noseworthy showing <laughs> up, which is all. He's also a part of one of my favorite '90s films that I don't think gets enough love. But Idle Hands. I love Idle Hands. That movie is great. Started my crush oh so long ago of one Miss Jessica Alba. <laughs> Me too. From the trailer alone. But you don't necessarily get that kind of. You, the, the camp, in terms of Sam Neill's performance, it goes camp, but in terms of the atrocities that no, happen... No, it goes camp as in a villain way, yes. not like, the build the up. Batmobile. No. But there's a build-up to it. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't... It comes out at the very finale. Yes, and and it's a, it's a good set piece. And also, then, when you get that peek into hell... Oh, it's a great set piece. Ah, uh, this movie... I can't... I really cannot say Is enough there, good thing about it. Are there any extended cuts of that imagery, do you know? Not, I don't know, but if I... Because even the bits and pieces that you... It's, it's terrifying. It's very Clive Barkerian. And what I like about it is they, they, it's not... It's, dare I say, subtle. Because it's not gratuitous in terms of how much they show you. No, it's, it's just Flashing quick. imagery yep. mm-hmm. that lets your mind connect the dots, which is probably the most creative thing you can do because what I'm thinking is not what you're thinking but I guarantee it's both it's equally heinous exactly you know the subjectivity of that is wonderful I'm telling you Paul Paul W.S. Anderson he needs to get a second shot to all the haters out there I, I think he's doing okay for himself oh well, yeah the Resident M- Evil Mr. Jojovich yeah, yeah no, so, he's, no he's he, doing fine he's but okay he's yeah okay. if you haven't seen Resident Evil really check it out okay so let's go ahead and break this down through the ringer in terms of the bracket, in terms of who best represented sci-fi horror, mm-hmm. that's a tough one because I think they're two different brands of sci-fi horror. Exactly. Um, you have more uh, questionable futuristic with Cube, and then you have definitely futuristic space with Event Horizon. Mm-hmm. Um, for this one, my two cents, 
I think when you're dealing with sci-fi, when you say the term sci-fi, you automatically think of space. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong, but let's just say the majority people think of space when you think of sci-fi. So so on that alone, because Cube is so ambiguous about it, Mm -hmm. I'm going to give it to Event Horizon. I can can go with that. I can go with that. However, in terms of the bracket for me, what I'm going to look at, I like how you're looking at the space aspect of sci-fi horror, but I'm looking at kind of the totality of what science fiction can be. Mm -hmm. And for me, because... And actually, Event Horizon does go a little bit in terms of hard sci-fi with kind of like the idea of the black hole opening up. Ocean dimensions, mm -hmm. things like that. But with Cube... And I dare I say, in terms of what I think what it can do for sci-fi horror is it does inspire for people to go above and beyond because it is a smart sci-fi horror, mm-hmm. or smart sci-fi film horror, but it's also very gory. Yeah. Now, granted, a lot of it is CGI. There's some practical in there, but I think it gives the best of both worlds for what you can do. And because it is trying to be something different, even though Event Horizon was, for me, I'm going to go with Cube. When in the, just in terms of what it does for sci-fi horror. Okay, so let me just. So, are you saying that the gore effects in Cube are better than the ones of Event Horizon? No, but I'm okay. Saying, I was gonna say, let, let's just stop right I'm there. I'm not crazy. I'm okay, not crazy. Okay. But I think they <laughs> accent the film a little bit better mm-hmm. than they do for Event Horizon. Just in terms of giving it a little bit of uh, that little bit of a that hidden ingredient. Extra spice. Yeah. yeah. Like, ooh, what is that? I like that a lot. So mm-hmm. that's for me. Now that being said, how about the nostalgia feel for Event you? Event Horizon. I mean, I, I I love Cube. I, it's a new, pleasant surprise, but it's not gonna it's not gonna topple Event Horizon for me. I understand that one, and again, because of the scene at the first time with Amy and not having experienced it, that was more nostalgic for me. So for me, the nostalgia piece goes to Cube. Okay. And okay. then finally, in terms of what both did for the genre, for the uh, you know, in terms of what what, what do you go with with that? I'm going to go Event Horizon for the simple fact is, one, not only it shows that you can't have a very smart, gory space movie, but it also started Paul W.S. Anderson on his path to the Resident Evil. And whether you like it or not, the Resident you know, Resident Evil, if the haters out there, it's, it's a big thing. Certainly, certainly. And so it's all to this dude. So I'm going to go Event Horizon. And I think also it's versus the, when you put the two together in terms of which one has legs. Yes, Cube did inspire more sequels, but I think Event Horizon has inspired a bigger audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, our friends Atomic Cotton put out an Event Horizon shirt. So That's for me, rad. I think the cultural significance is definitely um, Event Horizon. That saying for me, I'm going to say Cube goes forward. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm going to say... Event Horizon goes forward. To the listeners, we to must To the listeners, go. to the listeners. So already, you know, it took us, we, we did we disagreed on the last one there, so this one is going to go Event and Cube. Uh, I know how this one is going to come out, but I'm glad we get to put it to the listeners. Yes. Okay, so we will then put that one out there um, online at Twitter and Facebook, Nightmare Junk on Twitter, Facebook, Nightmare Junkhead, and then when the uh, episode drops, we'll put that up as mm-hmm. well. So we'll... You know who? Oh, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. That is going to be a great one. So I'm going to leave the monster bracket for last. Okay. So uh, occasionally, (laughs) wild card bitches. Sometimes we have some stragglers left over in terms of pitting them against each other. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we can't find a segment or an appropriate bracket, so we have a wild card. Mm -hmm. But this one, a a W wild card. We have American in parentheses, (laughs) werewolf in Paris versus Wishmaster. Two 
totally different movies. Two totally total different movies. I don't know if you can get any more different than these two movies. These two, and that's what's fun, I think, with the wild card segment yeah. <laughs> in terms of pitting something like this against each other because these are two films that I did see in the theater. Me too. Um, so I have that going for it. So which one do you want to get into first? Oh, but then once again, also you have the start of a franchise versus the continuation of a franchise. So that does work as well. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's start with Werewolf in Paris. This one again, in terms of some of these films, we've, we've talked about how 90s they are. Mm-hmm. This one is so 90s, it should be chugging Mountain Dew and like jumping off of the Eiffel Tower. Wait, no, they do that in this film. I'm yes, sorry. Yes, Very um, extreme werewolves and Julie Delphi. You can't get more 90s Parisian than <laughs> Julie Delphi and extreme sports. I had the most surreal experience with, not directly with Julie Delpy. <laughs> that, <laughs> you met on a train for 24 hours. That's then. when I reveal I'm actually Ethan Hawke. What a, what a, what a, that's a long con there. No, this is back in my skating days, so this is probably around 96 or 97. Uh, but we were out, we had road tripped up to Iowa. We knew somehow or another, we didn't know actually these people. We had met through the grapevine. This is what's horrible. We didn't really know these skaters up there. And they invited us to come up and skate, and we were going to stay the night with them. So we went up there, we skate, we go to Perkins, and I order a chicken bread bowl salad. Julie Delphi's the waitress. Oh, if she could only be the waitress, if that was only where this story went. <laughs> it's I, actually a. I'm rehearsing a role. This is very appropriate given the, the conversations we had last night on the porch. I'm going to preface this with okay, that. Okay, 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 okay. So I had a, chi- <laughs> I had a chicken bread bowl salad. Uh huh. And we go to this guy's house, uh-huh. and about halfway through the night, I realize I've been watching um, Killing Zoe, which if you've never seen that, it's a Roger Avery film. It's very much a Tarantino-esque. It's Eric Stoltz is over in, I'm trying to remember what country, but he's basically robbing a bank. He ends up hooking up with Julie Delpy. They have to, it's a very trippy, weird film. Mm-hmm. But as I'm watching this film, I'm overcoming... I'm getting food poisoning, basically. Oh, no, from Perkins. I'm at a stranger's house. Oh, I, no. I, I don't ruin their bathroom, per se. But you blew it up a little bit. I took care of it. Let's just say that. So I've always had this really, and that was, I, and I just remember, <laughs> though, through the haze, Julie Delpy, this, Ju- and she's... So Julie Delpy makes you shit. Well, <laughs> It's a horrible Pavlovian thing. <laughs> Mickey, uh, Davy Jones from the Monkees does that to me. Every time it's, I see Davy Jones from the Monkees, I got to burp. So every time you see Julie Delphi movie, you got to well, shit. Well, the worst thing is, it was I was in such this like sick, hot, <laughs> foggy phase. Because you're all like food poisoned up, and you're like all hepped up I was on having, goofballs. She, I thought she was kind of like guiding me through some stuff, kind of like with your Homer. spirit animal, Yes, Julie. yes. <laughs> You'd have to take a shit before sunset. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and so revisiting some whenever I see her I always have that little you, you talk about revisiting stuff I always have that pinch of yeah oh I hope I don't have to stomach gurgle right. no it's no good <laughs> so yeah so Julie Delpy is fantastic and it's also she's paired up with uh, Tom Everett Scott who this was pre that thing you do mm-hmm. uh, Tom Everett Scott <laughs> But I think my problem with this, in the problem from the get-go, is this film is competing with, with American Werewolf in London. Which it's no, there's, and there's no comparison. No, there's not. None comparison at all. So all from the bat, you're you're basically fighting an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. And then add to that, the CGI werewolves were really bad versus compared to the practical effects of the first one, and the story so loosely. Interestingly, well, no, you have this American backpack extreme dude mm-hmm. in Paris. He hooks up with these raver 
dance hall werewolves. <laughs> 90s. It's it's very so it's such a like a takeoff of blades. Parisian go retro. You know the the rave scene. It just mm-hmm. doesn't work. And they up the ante. They try to add more werewolves, mm-hmm. which of course uh, I, I like that concept because that's what you need to do with the sequel. But also like concept versus actual like applications mm-hmm. are two totally different things. And unfortunately at that time and the movies we're going to talk about in the next bracket utilize CGI, but they mixed it with the practical. Right. And this one I think there was just an overbearance and over-reliance of CGI. It seemed more like a cash grab yeah. than anything. And what's just unfortunate because American Werewolf in London is a great fucking movie. It's one of the all-time greats. Exactly. One of the quintessential werewolf movies. And this one, uh, you uh, know. Yeah. It's it, even even with a different name, if it was called Parisian Werewolf or Julie Delphi's New Moon or something like that, then I think it would still be an okay werewolf movie. But to go against the pedigree of an American werewolf in you know, Detroit. That's then. just it. It's does this go in your rotation of regular werewolf films? No. Will you view this along with Silver Bullet? No, hell no. You know, will you piss on the <laughs> piss on the Perry's? Yeah, piss oh, don't on, do that. Don't no, do that. piss on the Eiffel Towers. Piss on the Delphies. Piss on the Delphies. Shit on the Delphies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's horrible. So I would just, yeah, unfortunately, this is one that has not aged well. No. It Mm-mm. doesn't really do a representation of the 90s that well, but I think it is an interesting mm-hmm. timepiece, though, in terms of the start of looking at CGI. Right. And, again, the over-reliance of it, because there are still, there's some nudity in this one. Mm-hmm. Julie Delpy, of course. Right. It's in her claws. They still retain that, but again, you start to see the transition of the good old-fashioned stuff we loved in the 80s. Versus this new fang dangle. Yeah. Unfortunately, so. It just seemed like it didn't have a lot of heart. Not as much as you get with the first one. No. Yeah, unfortunately, David McNaughton and, um, oh, good lord. That's horrible. Not it's Julie Delpy's on the mind there. That's awful. Griffin Dunn, excuse me. Gonna have my horror card taken away. So, let's, that takes us to Wishmaster. Mm Mm-hmm. This was a fun rewatch for me. Me too. This I was like this movie a these lot. last three films we're going to talk about were probably my the most fun I had revisiting, and a bunch of a surprise because it had been a long time since I've seen them. Yeah, I, Wishmaster's just a. I gotta say, he's got my bow and buck flowers in it. This is when we do finally get a legit, organic experience. Uh, ex- um, experience appearance by one George Buck Flower. Hey, how's it going, everybody? I'm in Wishmaster. God damn it. But what I also love about this film is it's a 97 film. And it's so gory. And it feels pra- like an 80s film. It's very gory and practically gory, too. K&B. Yes. Well, that's not a surprise. Uh, Robert Kurtzman mm-hmm. directed this film. This is a good old-fashioned, like, this is a be throwback. careful what you wish for monkey paw story. This is a straight throwback. Yeah, it is. This could have come out in 87. Yeah, because he's a, he's a magical slasher is what he is. He's And he's also he's mu- very much an iconic villain. Uh-huh. The Jin. The Jin. He's he spawned a franchise, and a lot of that credit goes to Andrew Devoff, mm-hmm. who really personifi- personifies him in person and behind the mask. He's one of those guys. I think the first time I saw him was. Do you remember that movie Toy Soldiers? Yes. The one of the we all fall down like toy soldiers. Is that your wish? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> no, this uh, he's so good in terms of the uh, the title villain. This also, in terms of when I was watching, I was like, oh my god, hey, that's that's Kang Hodder. Uh huh. It's like, hey, wait, wait, no, that's that's Reggie from Phantasm. That, that's Ted Raimi. Yeah, it's, there's so many like who's who. This is a horror movie f- made by horror. horror movie fans. 
And so, I think my biggest thing I have against it is I don't think this one really gets the respect or attention. No. I shouldn't say that because there's a whole there's a lot of people who hold this movie with near Arrow and dear. just put out an amazing yeah. Blu-ray but, box set. But this movie's a lot of fun. It's really mean. It's a mean, mean. The deaths are mean to the ooh, that cancer one. That, ooh, the Buck Flowers one. That's God. What, what I in terms of the the, the physical manifestations, the literal thing of this this the literal, to me, it, it really is a cautionary tale and what i love about it, it just seems to me this gives them the opportunity to do so many cool things in terms of effects yeah like what could we wish for in terms of what's the ultimate nasty ironic twist on a wish mm-hmm. and putting it out there and so the gore effects are phenomenal because of course k and b did them um the other thing that i think is rad is and what we're going to get into these last three films is we get some strong female protagonists yeah. as well in this one yeah and in, in, in all yeah exactly in all three films which is i which is a nice change mm-hmm. uh, in terms of that uh, but this is just I've I had so much fun with it because even like the intro, I remember when I saw this at Ward Parkway back <laughs> in the day, um, and again this was like the sight unseen days where like you said is you may have seen a trailer for it maybe but not much but for the most part you just rolled up to the movie theater and like what's playing yeah exactly like uh, or you'd look in the paper yes oh my yeah and yeah. then you'd have to go via posters what was the cool stand up in the theater mm-hmm. word of mouth maybe Fangoria yes Fangoria and let's yeah Wishmaster showed up in Fangoria <laughs> multiple times and I think what made this film so fun for me is the fact that it was late 90s but it is such a throwback yeah, to could, what made the 80s fun due to practical effects I mean our one of our biggest complaints on American Werewolf was the digital Total one of opposite. our one of our biggest praises on Wishmaster is the practicals so and it's not just like oh these old fuddy-duddy nerds of nostalgia it, I mean it's really you can see quality and quantity and I understand yes people are going to be like well American Werewolf that was still in its infancies of the CGI, but but this also included CGI. Yes, but done very well. That's just so. it. it's blending it and weaving it, and I think that's the thing that they can exist. They should exist because mm-hmm. they can enhance each other. Exactly, they shouldn't be battling each other. Mm. And well, of course, with the horror audience, there's a lot of like you can you can only think one way. You know, it have to be for it or against it. It's like no, right, things, no. these things can work. It's not a black and white issue. It's, it's not a black and white world, y'all. Right. A lot of shades of gray. So no, I had so much fun with this one. Buck Flower showing up, um, friggin' Captain Rhodes showing up in this film. Sir, I was just like, it was like almost taking um like a '80s horror bingo card. <laughs> like bingo, I've got it, I've got them right. all. There's the Pokemon. Then what? Catch then what is your wish? Yeah, that's ooh. your prize. You get a wish. And as you said, this one did start a franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, four films. Of which the last two, again, we talked about the Chris Angel. But right, right, right. They're a little, actually, I saw a little, uh, some snippets of them. They're kind of a little soft core, actually, which is kind of funny. Uh, but in a very. Well, it is kind of, it is Chris Angel. <laughs> he, he will mind let's freak, just, yeah. Let's mind freak and booty freak. So let's just let's call it what it is. So let's go to the rubric here in yes. terms of Wishmaster and an American Werewolf in Paris. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the bracket, because mm-hmm. it's a wild card. Wild card. What's the better W movie? I think I'm going to go Wishmaster because it's Wishmaster as opposed to American Werewolf. <laughs> Technicality. Yeah. Um, I guess we were stretching that one a little. Yeah. I'm so Wishmaster for W's. And I have no problem going Wishmaster okay. as well, just in terms of it was the it was the experience I had better time with. Yeah. And with American it was just like, nah, I'd rather so, watch London. So for Heart, let's go with Wishmaster too, because like you said, Oh, the nostalgia experience. feel? Yeah. yeah. No, definitely yeah. on that. And in terms of the iconic, in terms of its place within the genre. A failed sequel versus the start of a franchise, Wishmaster. I'm going Wishmaster too. Yep. So Wishmaster makes it to the next round. I like that. 
Not too much dissension here so far, so that leads us to our last bracket here. Monster movies! I love good old-fashioned monster movies. This I is love your, good old-fashioned monster movies. This is your bracket. Movies. Yes. Um, we are putting up Guillermo del Toro's Mimic versus, I forgot the director's, Relic. This is uh, David, oh, good lord, hold on. Talk a little bit about Mimic while I go okay. to the IMDb. Mimic is probably one of my first experiences with Guillermo del Toro. Uh, I, I saw this movie not knowing what to expect because it, it was very vague. The previews were very, very vague. But I had a huge crush on Mira Shervino because I think it was after... Um, Mighty Aphrodite? Mighty Aphrodite and after Romeo and Michelle. Oh, Ramon. So I so I was like, cool, Mira Shervino's in it. Rock is in it. So... <laughs> So anytime, yeah, it's just it's like anytime Charles Dutton shows up, he's a bad motherfucker. You're in for a good time. Yes. he's kind of like a modern day uh, John Saxon. He was the best thing in Alien Three. Yes, he was. So I was sold. He's the best thing in usually anything he's in. And I had such a pleasant surprise with this movie because one, it is very creepy and very scary. Not only does it take place under the sewers, which you know, no, already, no, that's gonna absolutely mess you up. not. And it's an urban horror because it's all set in this poor neighborhood. Yep. After ba the whole premise is this virus is caused by bugs because there was a rampant disease that killed ninety percent of the children in New York City. Already, how dark is that? That is super dark. Well, so they created these super bugs to battle the fun bugs, and they just mutated. Think about what he's doing, though. In terms of Del Toro style, he very much creates and crafts these fables. Right off the bat, that is almost the start to a very twisted fable. It in is. In terms of, you know, decimating the children's population like that. What really struck me about this one, and I remember I remember seeing this movie vividly because um, it was one of those theater experiences. I don't get to see a lot of movies with my brother. And this one, um, he he's significantly younger than me. So when I got to, I think I was like close enough, like 17, I took my younger brother to see this movie because it was like the first rated R movie. We can go check it out. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm 17. I'm his guardian. Right. So we went in there and we saw this and my brother, he watches horror movies with me. So he's, he's astute, right? He knows about this. When the two kids, the little two, like the Moppets, mm -hmm. the little adorable little uh, right, like. Oh, let's go get some. We can panhandle for Thinking money. Maybe the your audience surrogate. The Victorian. Gonna... No, I was like, okay, yeah, the, exactly. The little audience, they're going to survive to the end, somehow save the day. No time for love, Dr. Jones, right? We're watching this. They go in the sewers investigating, and you think they're going to see something, they're going to run out. Mm -hmm. No, they get fucked up brutally. Brutally. Oh. Brutally. And I looked at my brother, my brother looked at me, and he goes, Did they just kill off those kids? And they go, Yes. They never do that in horror movies because they really don't. Unless you're Stephen King. They never do that in like, this is a big budget Miramax yes. dimension film. This is a wide theater release. release. Right. So we're like, whoa, they just did that. And then we're like, cool. Because like, no holds barred. They already killed, they already wiped out a massive amount of children. Not that I'm all for killing children, but when you see something like this, going in blind you know that this man is not afraid to direct what he wants to direct his atmospheric his eyes were already right there and because of that i went to go see chronos and then i would like okay cool let's check out anything that he's really i love del toro i'm not afraid to say i loved 
this movie mimic was so a wonderful theater experience and an eye-opening he's an auteur man you had that your first exposure to someone that has such a distinct style that Mm -hmm. left such an imprint on your brain yeah that like you said it's like he he gave you the first one free now you're always going to seek him out regardless what he does because this was also i think my first one i saw as well and like you said i really i knew a little bit about it Mm -hmm. knew you know monster monster movie that's all i knew right but like you said it's like when you when i saw the blob the first time Mm -hmm. and they kill the kid and he ups it by killing both of them yes i thought at least one of them would get away right and when he doesn't like you said all rules are off exactly and that's what's beauty of the beauty of this film also is like josh uh roland is in this film Mm -hmm. now granted he wasn't the uh, status that he is now right but hell he's taken out as well yes i uh, your 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 male your strong male lead you know boom gone well this also we talked about talked about it uh with wishmaster this film you get a strong female protagonist with with mira sorvino Mm -hmm. she's a fucking doctor y'all yeah so we're not and using her smarts her wills her cunning to survive Mm -hmm. to outthink everything because ultimately what i like about these films they're both monster films but they're also nature run amok. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, the, even though they're one is an ancient curse, the other one is scientific nature. Mm-hmm. What so, we brought up on ourselves. What we've done on ourselves, yeah. Because the whole, we asked, could we? Should, should we? we? Exactly. And also, just the the man, like when the hubris comes back to bite you. Mm-hmm. And with this one, it's so terrifying just in terms of no one. No, I shouldn't say no one. There are fans of them, but it's all based around a cockroach. Yeah. So when you introduce that yeah. into play... And the fact of the matter is, everybody has seen or has a cockroach near them. There's just... It's they're, impossible. They're, they're around they're us right now. Everywhere. Right now. And you can have... You could be like, I got them all, Mr. Pratt. You're still going to get cockroaches. You know what It'll I'm saying? Every now and then, even if you have... Creeping up on you. Exactly. So the fact of the matter that it can happen anywhere and all kinds of government shady shit, you know? That's and it wasn't even shady shit. They're like, this is what we did. They were trying to get... And then, like, we're, we're trying to do good. I know, and that's what I think was really interesting on the take, just in terms of they didn't go out with malicious intent. Right. This was designed because of the god-awful thing that starts off the film. The thing about it is it worked. It yeah. stopped the virus, but, but it mutated the carrier that was... the it, 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 Nature it, found a way. Ex- exactly. It, it, it turned the, uh, the cure into the cause. And then when you get these full-size mimics that are rolling They're about terrifying. town... They're terrifying. The fact... Because you just see them from far away, and they look like big, intimidating humans, and then the... That sound design is awful. It's the tension. It's the dread that mm-hmm. he creates. Del Toro is a master with mm-hmm. that. And in terms of you know starting out with a big studio picture like this, yeah. killing the kids, creating that atmosphere, the practical effects yes. in this. The, so the practical effects I did have right. Uh, Colin Pinman did these, um, and he's been doing makeup for a lot of people. He actually does stuff on the strain. <sighs> Of course. With Del Toro, of course. Of course. Of course. Um, but this stuff, and it's a good combination of practical and CGI. Because mm-hmm. when they're moving, I think it was smart setting it in the dark. dark. Yeah. Because it masks a lot of the limitations. Exactly. Um, that's. I think that's what happened with Alien 3. Uh, they yeah. had the weird lighting, and when you have a dark xenomorph like that, sometimes that lighting doesn't work, especially when the CGI is bad. But when you melt it like that, the way he does it, where you're just playing with the shadows mm-hmm. and the sounds... That's what got, and the fact that they're in the fucking sewers. Shit, fuck that. There's an automatic warning sign for you with that. <sighs> no, I definitely think it, in terms of everything, everything 
works with this film. It mm-hmm. just uh, just the the gore, yeah, the, the sheer amount of terror. The ending works really well. Now, what I love about these two films is that all a lot of it all comes down to big explosions, right? In terms of taking out you know the nest uh-huh. or the eggs or what have you, you know, <laughs> something along those lines. Uh, but it also comes down to a lot of the, the final girl tropes mm-hmm. in horror films as well. Yeah, which is you know welcome. Yeah, but go, totally street toughs. Street toughs. Oh, Mimic Tufts. Mimic Tufts. Mimic Tufts. They're looking like street Tufts mm-hmm. on motorcycles. Del Toro loves strong female characters, and it's rightly so because they're the final girls. Mm-hmm. You know, I I love this movie. Yeah. No, Mimic was, or excuse me, uh, yeah, Mimic was so mm-hmm. much fun. A, a really good revisit. Now, the, the the one we paired it up against, and again, in terms of having two films like this in '97, right, goes to show you just in terms of what a lot of major studios will do. They'll have those competing films. Yeah, you'll have your Armageddon and your Deep Impact. Um, it's, it's kind of rare to see that with horror films uh-huh. in terms of well I guess in terms of the slasher you definitely the slasher saw you do but for like monster movies that's you only yours to get one monster movie a year if you're lucky yeah and good ones and then to get two big studio monster movies that's that's really hard to do. It's uh, it's kind of incredible, actually. Um, so it's uh, Peter Hyams that directed The Relic. Nice. And this one also, in terms of the uh, the cast for Mimic, is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cast for The Relic is also equally as good. Tom Sizemore and Penelope Ann Miller. Penelope Ann Miller. Come on. It was one of my go-tos in the 80s. <laughs> I just loved her. And then seeing her again playing a, a, another smart doctor. A- the anthropologist. Whooping ass. Yeah. Love that. Love yeah. that. And also, uh, Nerds and Nostalgia podcast favorite Clayton Roner from just one of the guys that shows up in the relic as well. <laughs> nice, which nice. Was another nice surprise. Uh, but what I love about the relic is it all comes down to just just never drink the soup. Right. It's such an interesting film because with the mimic you have the whole idea of going against um, you know cause and effect, mm-hmm. reactionary. Yes. With the relic is you get basically a bunch of those guys going where they're not supposed to go. Exactly. Involving Found, themselves, finding something they're not supposed to and find. And bringing it back where they're not supposed to go. So. And so you mentioned the um, the the location in uh-huh. mimic and how it really worked well with the relic, the yeah. natural museum of uh, the natural history. Museum of Natural History in Chicago. Such a cool location. It's super cool location, and it's so effective because it's fucking creepy. Yep. It's super fucking creepy because it all takes place after hours. So you're in the museum with all these things, and you don't know what you're fighting. You never really get a good look at them. And that's what I kind of like about this. You get decent shots, but you never get a full-on until the very end. It builds up, what am I looking for? And that's what's really good is Stan Winston created yeah. this creature. It's so a good right creature. There, yeah. You know, the monster in this is phenomenal. But like you said, yeah, there is a build-up to it. They took the Jaws approach. Mm-hmm. You need a little bit snippets of it because yes. when you get the reveal, you get the reveal about halfway through mm-hmm. um, and it's a great reveal yeah and he's a great he's a he's a uh, on all fours monster which I like exactly like a you big, don't see like, that a lot like it like some sort of weird mutant rhino warthog it's the warthog <laughs> he's a, but he's a great creation and the idea is in terms of how everything breaks down is you think it's supposed to be like an offshoot of this fungus right and you later turn out it's a great reveal you get a great twist in this movie mm-hmm. as well because it turns out no it's indeed the professor he's the monster yeah and what i like about that in terms of how they break everything down is they do allow penelope and miller's character to utilize her smarts to to actually make two and two together yeah and tom sizemore before he kind of went off you know the, <laughs> the right. sidetrack right picking up Charlie and all them from It's Always and Sunny. Um, <laughs> but no, I just really like the fact that this to me felt like it could have come straight from like a canon uh, film. Because you, you have the tough cop 
Mm-hmm. Ever, like John Saxony, barrel-chested Tom Sizemore, the smart, um, wily, and ingenuitive femme fatale who's who's beautiful but never uses her uh, sexuality no, as that's a, not a character trait. No, for. no, it's and so and versus this monster, this hulking beast in this scenario where the like I said, the the Natural History Museum is a terrifying place. Sometimes even in light. Did you ever have a like not necessarily a fantasy because mine would always be too terrifying, but if you got lost and had to stay after and survive in a museum, mine was like that with a mall. I would always be terrified in a mall or department store because I know the mannequins would come alive, oh, and too I can much even trap. exactly, and I can only even imagine some like night at the museum gone horror. That to me also night at the museum could translate so well into a horror film. It could be a perfect horror. Like hey, we're doing we're doing like a, a new wax museum on the horror icons of the eighties and nineties. Or God forbid you were a Native American and Andrew Jackson. Came oh God! Like, no, oh no! That's horrible. Oh no! So no, no. So you can do a lot of things with that. <laughs> now but it's no. almost terrible to be in the Hall of Presidents, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> but no, it does uh, create that really weird atmosphere, and that's the other thing that I really like with this film is it does play more like an action horror film, but the gore and the kills are straight horror. Yes, exactly. And decapitations, mm-hmm. body split in half, goring. You know, just <laughs> like. I mean, well played, well played. <laughs> it's a violent movie too, and it's just a lot of fun. And it could be an action movie, but it's the the, the violence over is more over the top. It's no. soaps. It's and totally I mean, it horror. is a horror film, but it does have the action elements to it, which yeah. you saw in some of those late eighty films like exactly. Leviathan, uh-huh. uh huh, Deep Star Six, yes, shit, um, Deep Rising, yes, getting into the Treat 90s. Williams. D- treat Williams is called Treat Williams because every time you see him in a movie, he's always a treat. He is a treat. He is. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, so no, and, and I just I think because it was a throwback, and we did see a lot of throwbacks in this in this bracket. Yeah. Um, it was fun to revisit. But it was so good to see a fucking monster movie, and I've said it uh, a good one numerous numerous times. We need more monster movies. Monster movies. Monster movies. Monster. Good monster movies. Well, what did you think of uh, Kong Skull Island? I was. That's a kaiju. Did we get that, into that, that last that, time? No, that's a kaiju movie. That's a different. Mon- that's a different kind of monster. I want like, not not, not giant monsters. Right. Like, more like relic yeah. mimic monsters yeah. things like that unfortunately maybe we'll you know what everything is uh, cyclical it'll come around again these are only 20 years old but 20 year old films that still still hold, hold up. up so alright let's put them through the ringer okay what do we have here in terms of the bracket what is a better monster film for you between relic and mimic uh, I'm going to go mimic because the while you're dealing with one monster with Relic, you're dealing with many monsters with Mimic, a hive of monsters. I so for monsters, that. I'm going to go with Mimic. I'm actually going to go with Relic because for me, it is a, as a monster movie, it only has the one monster, the one monster yes. that it builds, builds around. Very good point. I like the idea of multiple, and maybe, mm-hmm. and again, I, Mimic actually does have some sequels. I think some of them are like direct-to-video. Yeah. So it has that. But that, that that's going into my another yeah. okay, category. Okay, cool. So yeah, for me, in terms of the, the I think Relic is a better monster film. Okay. So in terms of the nostalgia film, um, I did see both of these in the theater. But in terms of... I think the, you mentioned it before. 
when you see how much of a game changer, like the relic is pretty much by the numbers right. for the most part. Right, it's a decent, mm-hmm. really good monster movie. But, but man, what, what mimic, mimic mimic is a game changer. And when having that moment, and it's when those kids die, yeah, knowing that you're in the hands of someone that's going to mess you up. That's, yeah. So I do my heartstrings for mimic. And I told you why you're already. So yep, mimic. Mimic on that one. As for cultural significance of the genre, I have to go mimic. Mimic, Del Toro. That's all I got to say. I can't argue against that. It did give us Del Toro. It announced his presence to us in the mm-hmm. U.S. We were able to reverse engineer. He's given us some fantastic ones, as he does continue to this day. Yes, so I'd say Mimic goes through as well. So it looks right. like the only dissension we had that we're going to have you guys duke it out with is our sci-fi horror. Cuban Event Horizon. That's so. going to be... I cannot wait to see what everybody says about that. And, okay, I'm telling you now, show your work. Show your work. Show your work. Yeah, that's. I like that. I do like that. And you know what? If you can't do it all on Twitter with 144, 140 characters, go to Facebook. Exactly. We're, Hit us we're, up. We're pretty easy. We're pretty easy to get a hold of. But okay, yeah, that's so gonna be a good one. So we've got Scream Two going through. Going and we've got Wishmaster going through. And, and we've got, we got Mimic. Mimic going through. Okay. So that being said, Genius, what year should we tackle next week? Um. Let's see. We can go all the way back, do some velvet velour action with 77, or we can mm-hmm. just go a scant 10 years when I still had some forehead hair. Let's go a scant 10 years. We're going to do 2007? Let's go 2007. Let's go, let's go a little bit more recent. Breaking into the millennium, if you will. Yeah, let's go the millennium. <laughs> had, had to be said. <laughs> uh, so, again, make sure you guys are playing a lot of a home on our Facebook account. We do have the bracket, so make sure you put that out. And, again, if you put it forward and you finish it, let us see the results. Hey, playing the Nightmare Junkhead home game. This is a lot of fun. So, until next week, guys, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we will see you in your dreams.